Discerning Hearts presents The Power of the Cross, Applying the Passion of Christ to Your Life, with Michael Duberow. Michael is the author of numerous books, including The How-To Book of the Mass, Praying in the Presence of Our Lord with Fulton Sheen, and Mention Your Request Here, the Church's Most Powerful Novenas. He and his wife, Amy Wellburn, are also co-authors of Praying the Rosary with the Joyful, Luminous, Sorrowful, and Glorious Mysteries. This series is based on recordings done with Michael Duberell in the spring of 2008 with Bruce and Chris McGregor. The Power of the Cross, Applying the Passion of Christ to Your Life with Michael Duberell. Good morning. I'm Bruce McGregor. She is Chris McGregor. And today we are delighted to have back with us again Michael Dubriel. And actually, uh, Michael is going to be joining us for the next number of weeks to talk about a book he has called The Power of the Cross, Applying the Passion of Christ to Your Life. And as you might think, with Lent just about upon us, uh, this would be a very great time to recommend that you go out and pick up a copy of this book and then follow along. And we're going to tell you why. Michael, good morning and welcome to the program morning and uh, thank you for having me. We really appreciate your presence for the next several weeks throughout the Latin period to be able to really enter in deeply into the mystery of the cross. Well, thank you. Yeah, The Power of the Cross uh, is a book that is really divided into daily uh, reflections based on that day's gospel from daily mass on Sundays. It's actually from the cycle A, which is used in a lot of parishes that have RCIA candidates and and are doing the scrutinies and stuff. So, but but every daily mass, um, you would hear the gospel that's being reflected in the meditation for that particular day, starting with Ash Wednesday, going all the way to Holy Saturday. I love the way the structure is set up because at the end of each day, you give us steps to take as you follow Christ. So you give us some real positive, very deep opportunities to enter into contemplation and to put it into action in our lives. Right. Lent is, Lent is uh, I mean, originally, again, was the time of formation of those who were going to be baptized. And the Church, which, of course, is the body of Christ, which means that if there are people who are setting aside this time to include that, that involves all of us. Um, you know, as St. Paul says, not one part of the body is affected, the whole body is affected. So all of us can somehow make this yearly retreat to kind of enter into that, and, and again, to reclaim, you know, what difference Christ makes in our lives and to, and to kind of refocus on what our own baptism is all about and, and what it is that we receive when we receive the Eucharist. And so the, the there's a real practical aspect to trying to make Lent not just a time of giving up, but a time of uh, replacing that, what we give up, with Christ and, and making Christ the center of our lives. Right. Oh, and that's so important. Yeah. And actually, uh, Mike, of course, this book can be used at any time throughout the year. We're kind of recommending it for Lenten reading because, for me, I, I sometimes like to thumb to the back of a book and find out what's going on. And actually, if you do use this to begin during the Lenten season, you actually begin with the first four days of Lent in the back of the book and then progress to the front. Right. A lot of people get confused around this time of the year when they talk about the 40 days of Lent and they start trying to figure out what are those 40 days. Yes. Because mm-hmm. If you start counting with Ash Wednesday... And you go to Holy Thursday, where Lent ends on Holy Thursday with uh, the evening 
Mass of our Lord's Supper, which begins the Easter Triduum, the, uh, you come up with uh, 44 days. And so then some people will tell you, well, you know, you don't count Sundays, but there's six Sundays of Lent, so that brings you only to 38. <laughs> the, the actual 40 days of Lent begin, uh, the numbering of them begin on the first Sunday of Lent, which is the official counting, anyways, the beginning of Lent, and end again on Holy Thursday. The, the days of Ash Wednesday leading up to the first Sunday of Lent are really preliminary days of Lent to kind of get us in shape. Mm-hmm. The Orthodox Church, they actually do about two weeks before they officially begin, and they start even their fasting by, like, uh, not eating meat for an entire week and then and kind of whittling themselves into shape for uh, the rigors of really getting into the great fast where they eat no meat, no dairy, no fish, no uh, oil, no wine, and essentially just eat uh, lentils or, or get on a vegetarian diet for right. an entire season. So anyway, we have that too, and uh, Ash Wednesday really begins as preliminary days. And the readings that make up the Gospels of the first four days really are kind of like, just like if you were making a 30-day retreat or whatever, there's preliminary days that never kind of make it into popular presentations of Ignatius's book. He, he felt like you needed, you needed days to kind of get ready to even start making the retreat, mm-hmm. kind of divest yourself of, of the culture, of the world, the things that are keeping you from really accepting Christ. And, and if you think about what the very first thing that happens to us on Ash Wednesday is we have our foreheads marked with ashes, and we're, you know, in the traditional form was, remember, you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. Mm-hmm. I had a, and I talk about this in the book, I had a professor who used to say that that was heresy, and it used to, it used to kind of trouble me because I didn't really understand what he meant, but finally, mm-hmm. finally it clicked on me. It's really what we're, what's happening to us at the very beginning of Lent is we're being reminded of the curse of original sin. We're rem- reminded of those words which are from Genesis after Adam and Eve had fallen, and that they're going to die. Remember, you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. And I quoted from St. Paul at the very beginning of, uh, for those Lenten days, preliminary Lenten days, from 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-seven to 49, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. The second man, of course, is Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So, really, the beginning of Ash Wednesday immediately thrust us into our state, the state of our souls, the state of our lives without Christ. Without Christ, we are all doomed to die, mm-hmm. uh, and death will be our end. And, and the, those preliminary days from Ash Wednesday to uh, the first Sunday of Lent really kind of lead us into an immersion back into the reality of, of the world, the fallen state of, of humanity, the, all the suffering, to kind of use the prayer of Blessed Herman, the Hail Holy Queen, mm-hmm. right? you yep. know, from this, ex, this veil of tears. You know, deliver us from this veil of tears. Uh, there, there's that kind of immersion. Things that in our culture, I think, we really try to keep at bay. We try not to have to focus on the reality of our lives. That we're those of us who are in our you know, late 40s realize the aging, the kind of the, the our bodies don't respond the way they used to. Uh, I had to put reading glasses on just to read, you know, 
part of my book, which um, two years ago I, I, I wouldn't have needed. I mean, you know, the, the, just that kind of need that we have to be saved from our present state. Right. Yes, you don't want to know how many pairs of glasses I have, Michael. <laughs> I have re- I have a pair of glasses for every state that I'm in. <laughs> Including the sun. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll return in just a moment to The Power of the Cross with Michael Duberow. There is a power in the cross of Christ that, sad to say, many Christians don't experience. Now you can learn to see Jesus' suffering and death, not as some spectacle or theatrical production, but as a blueprint of how to live your life. In The Power of the Cross by Michael Duberell, you can find the radical teaching of our Lord presented in a series of concrete steps that you can take at your own pace, whether you use this book alone or with a group. Here you'll learn how to follow Christ more closely, God's unique purpose and mission for you, how to overcome the evil that you have suffered at the hands of others. You'll find God's presence in difficult times and the keys to unleash the power of the cross in your life and so much more. Day by day for five weeks, the power of the cross contains the prayers, the reflections, the stories, and the teachings that will help you not only better comprehend the power of Christ's great sacrifice for you, but come to better understand why and how to accept that power now. As Michael has said in The Power of the Cross, there are those who would conclude that we live in an age when miracles have ceased, but miracles abound. We just don't recognize them. What we need is the spiritual surgery of the cross to restore our vision, to see the world as God sees it, to see everything in his life. The Power of the Cross, Applying the Passion of Christ to Your Life by Michael Duberell. To obtain a copy of this book online, go to www.discerninghearts.com and find the link. Spirit Catholic Radio presents Faith Check. Here's Greg Ewell. The word Christian was first used by non-believers who intended to mock Christians. It meant a little Christ. The Christians, in turn, adopted the term as a badge of honor. To be a Christian means that we are called to be little Christ. For like Jesus, we are called to announce the good news, heal the sick, bring relief to the suffering, and justice to the oppressed. And yet we must recall that Jesus also said his followers must take up their cross and follow me. In other words, every Christian will at some point face suffering and opposition. Through suffering, we are brought to our knees and drawn closer to God. We can also offer up our suffering as a sacrifice on behalf of others. And yet there is a still deeper understanding of suffering. For it was through the worst evil the world has ever seen in the crucifixion of the Son of God that God brought about the greatest good, the redemption of mankind. In some mysterious way, then, God uses the suffering of his people to bring about a greater good and so give him greater glory. We may not fully understand suffering in this life, but we can trust in God's goodness and say with Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is Greg Ewell for Faith Check. A teaching of St. Paul from his first letter to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts but I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong 
or a clashing symbol. And if I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own, and if I hand my body over so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. If there are prophecies, they will be brought to nothing. If tongues, they will cease. If knowledge, it will be brought to nothing. For we know partially, and we prophesize partially. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I used to talk as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. At present, we see indistinctly, as in a mirror, but then face to face. At present, I know partially. Then I shall know fully, as I am fully known. So faith, hope, and love remain, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted. Deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected. Deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I. That others may be esteemed more than I. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease that others may be chosen and I set aside, that others may be praised and I unnoticed, that others may be preferred to me in everything, that others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should, 
Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. We now return to The Power of the Cross with Michael Duberell. Mike, not to really totally uh, digress or regress here, but I, I wanted to ask you how you came about to formulate this book. There's a very interesting story that seems to track back quite a number of years. Well, there was a, a woman that I visited some years ago. I, I had just gotten out of the military, and this was in the very first days when I think that extraordinary ministers of the Eucharist were being allowed in I had I had done that while I was in the military, and I, I was pr- coming home to uh, my home parish in Florida. And uh, actually, along the way, I, I saw this billboard, and this is in the Deep South. And there was a billboard of Our Lady of Fatima holding out the rosary, and 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 it was you know proclaiming the message of Fatima on this right. billboard deep in the Bible Belt. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I asked my pastor uh, about the sign. I wondered if the church you know, had been responsible for it. And he said, oh, no, he said, uh, Pearl put the, had that put up. And, and I asked him who she was, and he said, well, you know, you've been trained as an extraordinary minister of the Eucharist. Why not bring her the Eucharist? She's in this nursing home. And so a few days later, I, I went per his instructions to the nursing home, and, and I didn't really know what to expect because he hadn't told me much about her outside of that she was a real go-getter and had been responsible for this uh, billboard being put up. When I got to her room, uh, what I encountered was like an image of, the, the only thing I can describe it as, the image of St. Therese of Lisieux. Yeah. Oh, wow. You often see uh, holding a crucifix with roses. Anyone who's seen a statue of that sure. one. There, there was this young woman in bed, clutching a, a, a full, a large crucifix, and uh, she didn't have the roses in her hand, but it, but it was an image that immediately brought that to mind. And, mm-hmm. and Pearl was about 24 at the time and was dying of terminal cancer. And um, over the next period of uh, that particular summer, I, I brought her communion two or three times a week, and we had these long discussions and really... She was just filled with joy, and, and somehow, whenever I would ask her about that, you know, she pointed to the cross and the power of the cross to help us to face whatever the reality of life can bring us, right. and um, the power, you know, what that cross means and lived experience. She, she, she had said that she had been a wild young woman, and her faith had been kind of a joke to her. But when she was struck, stricken with this illness and stuff, that there was nothing else that mattered to her but her faith. And, 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 and that, in many ways, the Our Lady of Fatima billboard and, and other things that she did, she touched so many people's lives, including mine, for, for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that became like the way I would interpret almost everything that happened to me. I mean, I always saw it, and, re- was, and I still see it even today as I speak, that image of her mm-hmm. clutching that crucifix. Wow. It reminds me of that quote that you have in the book, Michael, from Archbishop Fulton Sheen, who remarked that there are two types of people in the world, those who are living to die and those who are dying to live. Yeah. Yeah. Remarkable. 
And and that's really what Ash Wednesday or the entire season of Lent is to help us turn from from being people who are living to die to dying to live. Isn't it? Oh, another story um, uh, on Ash for the Ash Wednesday reading about a young woman who I came to know a few years ago uh, through her writings. Uh, we published her diary called Virginia Steer, God's Little Hobo. And a story that was told to me by somebody who had known her was that on Virginia Sear was this young woman who had cerebral palsy, and she only lived into her 20s, but was saw her entire illness as, as something, a choice that had been given to her when she was a few days old. She, she wrote in her diary that on the day that she was born, God gave her, asked her if she would like to do something special for him. And in her youthful enthusiasm, she said that she said yes, and, and she saw her entire illness as, as, as a gift that God had given her to offer her life up mm. for others. And I mean, a remarkable, remarkable writing of this. But one of the stories that happened to her later in her life, again, when she was in her early 20s, was she was attending, or she was visiting a monastery in southern Indiana, and... The monks there use a very simple pine box. And when she saw the pine box, she asked the monks after this funeral, she said, would you make, would you make my coffin for me? Mm-hmm. And they agreed to do so. So she lived several hours from the monastery, and one of the, her friends still remembers the day when the monks arrived, two of the monks arrived, in a station wagon, and in the back they had the the coffin they had built for her, oh. and they took it out. And she wanted, she insisted they take it out, mm-hmm. and uh, and then she asked, you know, for them to help her out of her wheelchair and and to straighten out her body to see if it would fit. Oh wow! And, and she was just filled with such joy that they had done this for her, and that it was a perfect fit. And I think that's a perfect illustration for what happens when we have ashes put on our head, because, again, it's, it's facing the reality of death, and it puts everything else into perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, Father Groeschel told me one time years ago when I was making a retreat with him that, that in his experience, the people who progress rapidly in the spiritual life are those, for the most part, who have terminal illnesses because they, they have to face death. Yes. And suddenly what they think is important completely changes. And I think that's the repentance that, that Jesus calls us to. You know, too often we are really serving another God in our life and not the God who can save us from death. And so this first week, uh, these first four days leading up to the first Sunday of Lent, I think are a real immersion into facing reality. And, you know, what's really what's really the matter of life and death? What really is going to save us from um, whatever can happen to us in this life, and whatever can happen to our loved ones, those who are dear to us. I think that's that's the importance of this time of reflection, is to be able to get all that straight. All right, Michael, uh, we want to thank you for uh, sharing this uh, first opening entree on what will be a great series, We're talking with uh, Michael Dubriel. Uh, the Power of the Cross, Applying the Passion of Christ to Your Life. Again, we suggest you pick up a copy of Michael's book. Highly recommended. Yeah, as soon you as possible. You can find a link on it, and also you can visit our Sunday Visitor. Uh, dot com that the book is available there as well all right so michael uh, thanks for uh, the opening entree and we look forward to uh, subsequent shows here thank you 
You've been listening to The Power of the Cross, applying the passion of Christ to your life with Michael Duberell. To hear and download this episode along with others in the series, and to learn more about Michael Duberell's work, go to www.discerninghearts.com. Join us next time for The Power of the Cross, Applying the Passion of Christ to Your Life with Michael Duberell.